Welcome to Interviews for Resistance. We are now into the second year of the Trump administration, and the last year has been filled with ups and downs, important victories, successful holding campaigns, and painful defeats. We've learned a lot, but there's always more to learn and more to be done. In this now weekly series, we talk with organizers, agitators, and educators, not only about how to resist, but how to build a better world. I am Sarah Jaffe, your host. Hi, I'm Jess morales Ricardo. I'm the political director at the National Domestic Workers Alliance. So we're talking today because uh, the Trump administration pretended to solve the, the problem of family separations on the border, but that has clearly not been solved. Um, so can you start out by telling us sort of where things are right now as we're talking? It's Monday afternoon. Yeah, so... Um, Ms. Last week, uh, President Trump put out the executive order, which um, was a complete and total sham that did not end family separations, but um, was a result of the public pressure that the administration and the White House were dealing around the humanitarian crisis they've created. Um, as of today, there still has not been a change to the most important policy that really created this crisis, just the zero tolerance policy that prosecutes all um, migrants as criminals at the border, and um, and even more than that, uh, in the mid uh, in the aftermath of this uh, executive order that they put out, there is no plan to reunify the families who have. You know, um, literally hours after that executive order came out, and since then, there we have uh, more than you know a dozen reports um, that I personally know of, which means there's absolutely more in the world um, of families who have been separated at the border when they were presenting them for themselves for asylum. You know, honestly, like in fact, the more we uncover about this, the more horrifying it is. There's no level of hyperbole that could be had here because every almost hour it feels like there's a new article that comes out about some other atrocity that's associated with this uh, with this crisis. And so it just, I really do feel like we're at a, an, an all-time low moment around immigration, which is really saying something. And it is really saying something because, um, you know, we're looking at, and, the, you know, the Trump administration's um, answer to, we're not going to separate families. It's like, we're going to build family jails. Um, but... Totally. As you said, you're right that the history is bad, but there's not like a good past that we're turning away from here. And so to really be able to get worse is, is impressive. But talk a little bit about sort of the history of this and the various ways that our immigration policy has always separated families. Absolutely. Um, I mean, honestly, it goes all the way back to, you know, states who were as they um, were enslaved ships to Africa, and then when they were separated on plantations by their masters, it goes back to um, Native Americans who were um, forced to go to Indian schools and separated from their families, you know, because of, of colonization. So, like, this is absolutely in the fabric of our country. Um, okay. And, you know, even if you're just talking about the near future, um, it's absolutely true that the infrastructure for a lot of these problems was erected in the Obama administration um, that deported more folks than the last three presidents combined. So the family separation issue is a part of our past. It's also a part of our, our present um, of how we think about what to do with 
um, with migrants who are trying to cross the border when they are apprehended by um, border patrol or um, immigration enforcement. And what I will say that is true, because I think sometimes people are making a little bit of a false equivalency, like all of this is happening under Obama. Um, it's yep. true that President Obama's administration was particularly egregious in their enforcement standards. Um, and at the time felt like, wow, how can it really get worse? And under a Democratic president, and the answer is under a fascist president is how it gets worse. Uh, yeah. what, what, what Trump has done is absolutely um, – positively, uh, you know, so, so much worse. Um, and it, it's this family separation policy, but it's also prioritizing um, mm-hmm. for detention. Um, it's refusing to recognize domestic violence survivors who come and seek asylum, mm-hmm. a thing that we have, um, you know, done for many, many years. Um, and it's also ramping up immigration enforcement at, you know, workforce rates, et cetera, which mm-hmm. happened literally the day before the executive order. So, you know, right. it's, this is a yeah. particularly acute moment in the crisis, but it has absolutely been a crisis for a long time. Yeah. Yeah, and, and talk about the workplace raids. Um, you, We've seen this, again, it's not a new practice, but it's definitely ramping up once again under this administration. It is also a way that people are taken away from their families that are, you know, pulled off the work site and, and – Meanwhile, the employers who are, you know, face very few consequences for any of this. Completely right. So, um, you know, a couple weeks ago, I mean, it might even actually have been last week in Ohio, um, there Mm -hmm. were huge workplace raids. And, you know, children actually get caught in the middle of that when they go to the fields and they, um, you know, uh, detain and then potentially put in deportation proceedings. Everyone in, in the fields in the middle of the day, their children, literally um, come home from school to not their parents and they become wards of the state um, and are completely in limbo and just like these families who are separated at the border may not be aware of where their parents um, have been taken. Parents aren't aware of when their children are taken. Neither of them know when they'll see each other again. Um, so it's not just happening at the border. It's absolutely happening in our backyards. Yeah. So one of the things that's happening right now is, is there's actually sort of growing momentum. Um, Cynthia Nixon just said it. Um, there's several candidates, and I think Mark Pocan just introduced a bill to abolish ICE. Um, and so can you talk a little bit about the history of this agency? Because it is, again, not very old. Yes. Right. I mean, I, I'm loving the stuff that people are putting out on social media that say, like, we have lived in a world without ICE, so it's possible to imagine a world without ICE. You know, that's a a post-September 11th enforcement measure in and of itself was the creation of of ICE. And, you know, I think that, like, it's what is really incredible about this moment is that we're opening up a conversation around immigration that is causing us to, like, really try to imagine what a future looks like with humane immigration policies. And we've never had that in this country. And absolutely, that includes ending family tension, ending family separation, thinking about how these agencies, which are, you know, in and of themselves, enforcement measures, right, um, right. how to just completely change those and, and have a policy that actually, you know, reflects the values that we say we care about. Right, right. 
So we're talking, um, and you work with National Domestic Workers Alliance, and one of the things that I keep thinking of when when we're talking about family separation is how many migrants come to this country and end up doing domestic work and end up caring for American families while their own families are far away. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'd love for you to talk about why it is that it's important for domestic workers to be at the forefront of this fight. Yeah, I mean, the reason our, our immigration um, campaign at National Domestic Workers Alliance is called We Belong Together, and it's focused on family separation because this was something that we knew um, was a problem in um, our immigration system and was something that we understood um, was being totally mismanaged and the consequences were happening in our members and their families. Um, you know, folks who were, uh, who came here and are, were not connected with their children for 20 years at a time, um, because they were back, you know, in their home countries or, um, uh, trying to sponsor their family members, um, and having, you know, to be waiting 10, 15, 20 years for their family members to be able to come over. Um, and, you know, I think that part of, of why we felt like it was really critical to sound the alarm is that in the same way that people don't value domestic work because it's women's labor, because it's women of color's labor, because it's mostly immigrant women's labor, they also weren't valuing what they were saying about the immigration system and about the desire to, that ultimately one of the biggest reasons that people come here is because they're seeking a better life, often for their family. Um, and that could be, um, you know, that could be their chosen family, it could be their children, it could be their extended family. Um, and and for us, there was just a really clear gap of talking about this from a perspective where women's voices were at the forefront and where immigrant women's voices were at the forefront talking about what drives them to make this economic decision because it absolutely is an economic decision. And, right. you know, and I think that, that there's what we what is really incredible is um, the women that we've talked to, we also have been able um, in many cases to engage with their children. And um, mm-hmm. and, and, and thinking of our, our youth, one of our youth leaders, Leah, who's from Florida, um, mm-hmm. she was recently um, at a rally outside of the Ursula Processing Center in McAllen, Texas. And the reason that we got her there is because she was inside there to tell them that her parents um, have the threat of deportation or in deportation proceedings, and she wanted them to know that they were strong and that all of them would have to be strong and fight back, and we could do it together. Um, and you know, I think that there's just out incredible that our that our parents have and what they do to try to create a better life, uh, and the fact that we are in some cases, opening children who have traveled here um, on buses and trains and walked um, from Guatemala or Honduras, El Salvador, and then we're slamming the door on them, and then potentially even we're separating them is so unconscionable. We absolutely are committed to doing everything we can to ensure that this crisis is fixed, but also that this problem of family separation that has been happening uh, is dealt with once.
there's also, um, you know, put out a report recently about the conditions, particularly of domestic workers, um, immigrant domestic workers in the border regions, because we have this specific border region policy that is, it, you know, is, um, I don't even know how to describe it. Maybe you can describe it for us where, where you know, if you're within 100 miles of the border, you're essentially always in a hyper-enforcement zone. Yeah. I mean, it's it's incredible all the weight of criminalized families who live at the border, um, even ones who have absolutely, you know, are not a flight risk, are a, a complete add to the community, who are providing vital services, who are connections. Um, and it's just making it even more difficult for them to do their work. Um, and it's, it's especially difficult because domestic workers have been a part of the Texas-Mexico border region for hundreds of years. Now they're facing, in addition to long work hours, high rates of wage theft, vulnerability to sexual harassment, um, you know, lack of benefits or paid time off or even breaks in some cases, they're also mm-hmm. now facing heightened immigration enforcement, regardless of status. And, right. you know, immigrant women should never have to face family separation, especially women who likely have firsthand experience with what it's really like at the border. Right. Right. It also just struck me that um, one of the things that people always say about sort of domestic workers as, as a excuse sort of for for bad working conditions it's like oh you're part of the family so we don't need to give you a raise and so you know once again thinking about that in this context of what we think about whose families matter is really interesting completely you know and i think like it's what i what i think actually let me start an anti-genocide organizing and i never thought Mm -hmm. that Domestic worker organizing and anti-genocide organizing would roll up against each other as much as they are right now. And, mm-hmm. and one of the things that, um, we used to talk about in relation to that work, which when I was doing it at the time was, um, really focused in the Horn of Africa, um, mm-hmm. was about the dehumanization that happens, um, and how that's a clear indicator of, um, you know, a potential, um, a humanitarian crisis like ethnic mm-hmm. cleansing um, and the reason um, that I personally am, am so passionate about this right now in this particular moment in time is that in many ways we are actually seeing direct parallels to things like what happened in Rwanda to things like what happened in Sudan um, to things like what happened you know in the Holocaust and I think that sometimes people get worried like is that hyperbole and just as being a person at the border talking to domestic workers about what they're experiencing talking to families who are crossing um i can i can like just definitively say like it's not hyperbole and that's really scary it's not hyperbole and i think that sometimes people get like a little bit scared or you know skittish about saying like, you know is that an reason and having been at the border i it's really clear to me that it's not and i think the difference between those past historical crises in this moment is that there's a huge outpouring of people who are saying we are not going to stand by while this happens. We are going to raise noise immediately. And we're also seeing that that pressure is actually working. So you know, I just think, to me, it's just so important for everyone to really think about how can they actually make a difference in this? What can they do, whether that's, you know, going to families, going to other and 
signing up to go to one of our rallies or donating to the legal defense services or the organizing or like honestly talking to your friends and family about it. That's not Pollyanna. Most people still don't know about that this is actually happening. Um, so it's like we have to do everything we possibly can to stop this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there are protested ICE offices around the country going on, it seems like, every day. Um, but tell us what is being planned for the next few days and where people can plug into things in their community. Yeah, I mean, what you're right that, like, one of the best things is that there's so much stuff happening. Yeah keep track of all of it, which is like an organized <laughs> dream. <laughs> um, but um, on the 28th, we're really turning our eyes to Texas. The ACLU is sponsored. Brownsville on the 28th, that's sponsored by the ACLU. Um, and, you know, we really want to lift up the, the stories of the, of the folks at the border and the work of the folks at the border, and we're really excited about it turning our eyes towards Texas. And then on the 30th, um, we have over 600 events in all 50 states um, and a huge mobilization happening in D.C. Um, and you can find um, events near you or RSVP at familiesbelongtogether.org. Um, and we are really, really excited. I think this is a pretty unprecedented um, amount of action around immigration. So just doing everything we can to make sure that it's um, as incredible as the people that we're fighting for. Excellent. And where can people keep up with you and with uh, and find out more about the report that Domestic Workers Alliance yeah. put out and all that stuff? Yeah, you can um, find out more about us at domesticworkers.org or at domesticworkers with an S on there. And then I'm at Jess. L-I-V-M-O, Jess Livmo on Twitter. Interviews for Resistance is a project of Sarah Jaffe with assistance from Laura Fayabois and support from the Nation Institute. You can find more information at necessarytrouble.org. Thanks for listening.